In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Testing down. Remove him from office. No justice, no peace. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Sup Podcast. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. Hello and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Amanda Zurin, and today we have a special episode where I talk to not one but two amazing special guests. First, I'm speaking with Representative Dina Titus of Nevada, followed by a conversation with candidate Donna Imam, who is running for Congress in Texas. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Betches Up Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman, and today I'm here with Representative Dina Titus, who represents Nevada's first district in the United States House of Representatives. Welcome, Congresswoman. Well, thank you for having me. I had to, uh, I wrote in my notes to make sure that the, it's pronounced Nevada, correct? Uh, you got it just right. We, okay, we- good. I'm glad. <laughs> So I would love to sort of jump in to talk about what, you know, is still on all of our minds, which is the COVID crisis. And I would love to hear from you a little bit about how this crisis has had, you know, a unique impact on Nevada. Well, I represent the heart of Las Vegas. So if you've ever been here on holiday, and I hope you have, Mm -hmm. when you land in the airport, go down the strip to downtown, you're in my district. Our, Our economy depends so heavily on travel and tourism. One in 10 employees is uh, in that business nationally, but in Las Vegas, it's one in three. So you can imagine how high our unemployment is, twice the national average. People are out of work. It was like a dystopian movie when you drove down the strip to see all those casinos shut down. Just unbelievable. So it has hit us very hard. And we know that people have to feel comfortable about traveling uh, besides having a little money in their pocket. So the two go together very much in determining our future, the pandemic and the economic crisis. Yeah. On that note, do you have a sense that your constituents have been satisfied with the federal response to the crisis? What kind of things are they asking you for that you've tried to deliver, as we know you and your colleagues in the House have, but that the Senate and the White House have sort of stalled? No, they're not satisfied at all. We get about 100 calls a day just trying to get help making it through the week, whether it's getting their unemployment or their stimulus check or rental assistance or where's a food bank or I'm scared to send my children to school. All of those things, they feel like they're not getting any answers from the federal government and then they're turning to us for things that even a representative wouldn't ordinarily do. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Have you had a chance to talk with school teachers and administrators as some schools reopen? And if so, what have they told you? How are they feeling? Well, I have. And again, when I said something we wouldn't ordinarily do, I'm referring to like mm-hmm. state and local policy that people just need help with. But I, I taught at UNLV for 35 years, so I understand the frustration. And I've met with a number of teachers and administrators Uh, everybody wants their children to go back to school and teachers are frustrated and parents are and children want to, but they just don't feel like they're safe. They're not getting the resources they need from the federal government, like 
uh, mask or, or ability to open up schools like a cafeteria so children can be separated, no best practices. I think the decision should be local, but you need some kind of guidance and some kind of assistance from the federal government. That was in the HEROES Act, but of course the Republicans won't pass it. It's just sitting over there while McConnell says, we need to take a pause. Well, these children can't take a pause. Right, right, exactly. And a, a lot of states, I, I assume, including yours, there's also concerns about, you know, students that do stick with remote learning that live in areas where access to, to broadband is not as strong as it is in other areas. Oh, absolutely. Well, we've got a lot of rural territory in Nevada with not very many people. So they have a problem connecting. But it's also a problem in the inner city, uh, which is my district. A lot of children don't have computers. They're trying to get those out to as many families as they can. But then they don't have access in their homes. Uh, and so it's just kind of a nightmare. And, and we don't want to see these children falling further and further behind. Yeah, yeah. How confident are how confident are you in Nevada's ability to vote safely in November or before? Uh, Nevada this year will send ballots to all registered voters, I believe. Does Nevada always do that, or is that an accommodation for this year? Well, it's for this year, but we did it in the primary, so we've already had one run at it, and it worked very well. Awesome. And our neighbors do it. Utah does it. Then the Northwest, they've been doing it for years. We have a Republican Secretary of State who said there was no evidence of fraud, and she's been defending the system against a lawsuit by the president's folks. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. What else is at stake for, for Nevadans this election? Well, it's all really about the economy, getting it back up and running, because like I said, so many people are working on it, uh, are working in that business. But, uh, you know, environmental issues mean a lot to us. We're in the Southwest. It's yeah. a desert, water, solar energy, clean air, clean water. Uh, we have seen this president roll back so many environmental policies that it's going to take a couple of years just to fix what he's undone before you can even move the agenda ahead. Yeah, yeah, and I believe this week is the anniversary of some critical legislation that protects some of that, some of that wilderness, right? Exactly. Yeah, it was the anniversary yesterday, and and we've got in this area. People think we're just the strip, but there are some beautiful natural areas at Red Rocks. Like that's got international climbing ability, Mount Charleston. Gold Butte and Tule Springs; those have all been protected, and we hate to see any kind of rollback of that. Yeah, absolutely. I was also, I read that you're leading an effort uh, for the Librarian of Congress to correct some outdated and inaccurate references, specifically uh, to the Armenian genocide, which is referred to as uh, Armenian massacres. I, why is this important to you? And why do you think it's so important that institutions like the Library of Congress categorize records, you know, as precisely as possible? Well, I'm Greek, and so I have a certain relationship with the Turks, so I can certainly identify with the Armenian yeah. relationship with Turkey. And Turkey has certainly not proven to be a reliable ally in recent years. But aside from that, uh, it just is not appropriate for the Library of Congress, which is our library, only members of Congress can check out books, not the president, to be making political decisions based on his partisan ideas. The Congress has passed resolutions. Uh, scholars have uh, declared this as inappropriate. It should be called genocide, not a massacre, because that better describes what it is. But this is just another example of an institution 
being undermined by this administration, whether it is the post office or the Library of Congress or the, the press or even our courts when he attacks the judges. There's just no respect for any of the kind of old time institutions that promote democracy in this country. And certainly the library by giving out information helps to have an educated public, which is a key to democratic government. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think also similarly, I know you and your colleagues in the House have repeatedly passed legislation to make lynching a federal hate crime. And and what you're doing with this letter, too, is just such a reminder about how much words matter and having the words correctly in the record is is just so important for remembering, you know, what our country's been through and how we've interacted with international events and all of that. Um, I also wanted to ask you, the president has been addressing women voters specifically. He's been referring to suburban women voters. uh, Specifically, we're assuming he's trying to address women in in swing states or some battleground states, which I think Nevada absolutely is. Do you you think that Trump is the best leader for women in Nevada? Oh, my God, no. Uh (laughs) I could have asked that in a more nuanced question. I don't know what I thought the answer would be, but can you explain why he isn't? Well, you know, there are a number of different, you can't, it's hard to just put all women in one category. Yeah. I, I thought women in politics, you've got young women, uh, student age, you've got older women who are concerned about social security. They live longer than their husbands. You've got not suburban housewives as the president called right. them suburban women who are concerned about education and public safety. So you have to have a broad agenda to appeal to women. And I think he's failed on every count. And you overlay that with his behavior towards women and his language in dealing with women and his condescension. I think he's the one of the worst presidents for women. Plus he's trying to undo the uh, health care, the Obamacare that put women uh, in a position where it was no longer a pre-existing condition to be female because of covering pre-existing conditions like breast cancer. Uh, he's gone against um, you know, woman's right to choose with all of the stacking of the courts with conservative yeah. judges. Uh, you name it. He's been terrible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so, so much for your time, uh, Representative Titus. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. 
They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Today, I am here with Donna Imam. Donna Imam is a candidate for Congress running for election to the U.S. House to represent Texas's 31st congressional district and to unseat nine-term incumbent Republican John Carter. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. It's great to be on your show. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your background uh, and the path you took to get here. Texas is such an interesting place right now. Um, this election, I think, somewhere that people are going to be watching for decades to come. And I think that candidates like you are really sort of the future. So tell me, yeah, the path that you took to get to where you are right now, which is running to represent Texas. Yeah, so, you know, my path is obviously uh, not a typical one. Uh, I started out my career as a design and development engineer. So uh, I was the first female design engineer ever hired in the 100-year uh, history of Duncan metering in Lafayette, Indiana. Wow, um, wow. <laughs> and the reason that's interesting is Thomas Duncan was an inventor and Purdue University has an electronics lab named after him. But uh, I went on to uh, lead some large product lines. Um, I led Dell's $37 billion uh, product planning team. I've touched all, almost all the products. There are millions of people use computers that I've planned. Wow. Uh, you know, microcontrollers that I've worked on at Freescale Motorola and other semiconductor companies are used in pretty much anything electronic you can think of from a washing machine to a jet airplane. So I have a long career in technology and as a, a entrepreneur, I started my own consulting firm. And uh, during that time, you know, I also uh, participated and got involved in a nonprofit, which later I uh, was elected to president of that nonprofit. We grew it to a 4,000 member, uh, you know, entity. And during that time, I realized that we need to do more. I need to do more for our country. Um, and early 2019, I quit my job and started researching our district here in Texas's 31st district, which is Williamson County and Bell County. It starts with uh, a chunk of Northwest Austin and all of its suburbs. So Round Rock being its biggest city. And then you go to uh, Leander, Cedar Park, Liberty Hill, Georgetown, that's pretty much Williamson County. And if you go east, there's Hutto and Taylor. And then as you go north into Bell County, you have Colleen, Harker Heights, Nolanville, Belton, and Temple. So that's Texas's 31st district uh, in a nutshell. Is there and, a lot of diversity within the district? Yeah, so the interesting thing about Bell County, which is where we have to close the gap in our race, is that it is home to... Uh, the largest armored vehicle military base in our country. 
and that is Kaleen. And so a lot of people perceive it to be a very military town, which in fact it is, but uh, the entire Texas's 31st district has more veterans per square mile than anywhere else in Texas, in fact, not just Bell County. What's interesting about Bell County is that it is a majority minority district, which means that majority of the population in Bell County is Black Americans, Latino Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans which is interesting in Texas because we talk about the Latino vote and in numbers that is extremely significant to Texas turning blue. But the other interesting fact is that the Asian population in Texas is actually the fastest growing population. So that's also an interesting factor uh, when it comes to Texas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that um, you quit your job in, in early 2019 and began researching the district. Why did you decide to run for Congress? So very early on in my development career, uh, every single manufacturing worker was laid off in my company. Their jobs were moved to Mexico. And uh, many of them never worked a day in their lives and none of them had job retraining options. So throughout my career, I have tried to help other people get better jobs, write better resumes, build up their LinkedIn profiles, negotiate better salaries, get a promotion. That's how I kind of uh, tried to give back to my community. And I mentioned that I joined a nonprofit. That was a result of wanting to do more for my uh, district, for my community here in Austin, Texas. And that nonprofit was, you know, thousands of dollars in debt when I took it over. But the, one of the things that really pushed me to the brink of running for office was what happened during the recession here in Austin, Texas. We had at one point, the lowest unemployment rate in the entire country. Yet there were people who were well-educated, lived in decent, uh, you know, suburban neighborhoods, were raising their families comfortably, that all of a sudden were facing economic tragedy, where they could not cover their families, they could no longer afford their COBRA premiums, and they were losing their homes. And many people um, who had owned their homes for years were foreclosed on. And I realized that unless people like me, average middle-class people who work for a living, we get up in the morning and we go to, every, go to work every single day, working 40, 50, 60, some of us 70 hour weeks, even in high tech companies, that if we don't come together to solve our problems, nobody will. And that's what really got me off the couch thinking, how can I contribute my skills to our country to solve these large economic problems because one of the things that I am uniquely trained in is how to solve complex technology problems. Um, and I wanted to take these skills and apply them to some of the challenges that we are facing as a country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you'll be running against a nine-term incumbent. Uh, why is it time for him to go? So the current incumbent came into office in 2003. And in 2003, if you had a baby, that baby would now be a young adult ready for a future of prosperity. But unfortunately, during this time, the cost of housing, the cost of just living, being able to pay your mortgage, being able to pay your property taxes, being able to pay for education has skyrocketed. In fact, college over the last three to four decades has increased in thousands of percent in comparison to wages 
On the other hand, you see people's wages stagnating, you see retirement benefits uh, vanishing, you see um, you know, people's 401ks, IRAs not doing well. In, during the recession, people um, you know, really suffered from that. But on top of that, you see pension plans being drained. People who have given their entire life have no kind of economic security to retire comfortably, even though they have worked day in and day out in, the, in their entire life. So if you've been in office for that long and things have just gotten worse, it is time for you to step aside and let someone else uh, do a good job of helping the people in, in this district and across our country. And I think the results speak for themselves. Um, we can do better, much better. And it sounds like the issues that really motivated you to sort of get more involved with your community, things like you know facing potentially losing your home and mass unemployment, that's obviously coincided also with your, with your congressional run. Yeah, so the pandemic has not only brought these issues more into our homes because right now, we're not even able to leave our homes very often, right? We're confined in many ways. But we now have millions of people, including millions of people right here in Texas, unemployed with no path to getting back to work. Mm -hmm. The mismanagement of this pandemic has been not just a failure to our, econo uh, to our economy, but we're talking about 170,000 families over the last six to eight weeks that have gone through a funeral that were not able to even invite their families to that funeral. Just think about that for one second. Mm -hmm. 170,000 families have had to bury a loved one while not being even to able to have a proper funeral for that person. These challenges, along with the fact that People who have not had access and availability to go to see a doctor when they've been sick, so they've had underlying issues for decades, are more vulnerable and are more susceptible to dying from this virus than uh, anybody else. And they have tended to impact, we know that for a fact that Latino Americans and Black Americans in our country and definitely in Texas are dying at a much higher percentage than any other population. And part of the reason is, is that they have not had healthcare and have underlying health conditions that are, are not able to fight this virus. And so these are challenges that have been brought to our service. They've been, more, they've been more, made more urgent, more stark, more of an emergency um, in, in this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people, this pandemic has obviously exposed the weaknesses and just the way we've arranged our, our healthcare system. And your signature healthcare plan is called healthcare, it's called healthcare for all. And it's described as a single payer plan that fortifies and accelerates Medicare for all. Um, and you've talked about healthcare a lot throughout this campaign. Can you tell us a bit more about your plan and why this is such a, a key issue for you? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things in our country that we do is we debate healthcare a lot. And one yeah. thing you've noticed is that uh, we talk about how to get healthcare to everybody and give everybody access. But here's the truth. Until we lower the cost of healthcare in a significant way, yeah. it will not matter how you solve healthcare. You will not solve it. You have to lower the cost of healthcare. So that is the root cause of the challenges of healthcare. That's number one. So number two is how do you address healthcare costs? 
what my plan healthcare for all does is it gets to the heart of the problem of the cost of healthcare, which is that in our country, we have a massive shortage of primary care physicians, nurses, PAs. And because people are unable to go see a doctor when they get sick, they put it off. They do not go see the doctor because they cannot afford their premium monthly, so they don't have health insurance. But if they do have health insurance, they still cannot go to see a doctor because their deductible is so high, starting at two to $3,000 if you have good health insurance, all the way up to $10,000 because you're trying to lower your premium per month because you can't afford it. So when your deductible is $10,000 and you get sick and your only option is to go to urgent care because you don't have an established primary care physician, that urgent care visit runs on average $300. Yeah. So who has $300 just laying around in their bank account just so they can go see a primary care physician? And that's just the beginning. You're not talking about testing. You're not talking about follow-ups. You're not talking about if your primary care physician finds, finds a challenge with you, having to go to a specialist, having to get an MRI or scans. These bills add up. And nobody has $10,000 lying around to fulfill their deductible before their health right. insurance kicks in. So what healthcare for all really does, it says, look, not only do we need to go to single pair Medicare for all, which are synonymously used in our country today when we talk about healthcare, but we need to scale our healthcare infrastructure. And this is a term that no one had used until late March of 2020, except me and our campaign when we launched in 2019. And the reason that we're using it in 2020 is because of the pandemic. Because when we saw in New York City tents going up in Central Park because there wasn't enough hospital rooms, what people were saying is that we need to scale our healthcare infrastructure to ensure that we have capacity. So what scaling our healthcare infrastructure means is mean, it means planning for the 80 million people that have absolutely no way of going, see a doctor, going to see a doctor, even though they have insurance. That means incentivizing more people to go into primary care, become nurses, become PAs, and, get, and, and, and ensure that we build up a very strong preventative care system. Because now we are no longer using ER as our front line of defense. There you go. That's how you save money. When every single one of us has the ability to go see a doctor on a regular basis and practice preventative care, mm -hmm. that is how we are going to lower the cost of healthcare. That is the only way to lower the cost of healthcare and accelerate single pair Medicare for all. And that is what my plan does. As you're talking about this, I realize, you know, maybe one of the, the reasons that Medicare for All has, it has such a scary price tag and that's what makes people balk, but it's like, well, that, the reason that that price tag is based on just the insanely inflated cost of healthcare and how, and is based on the type of treatments people need because not everybody has just the opportunity, whether you have the money or not, like you said, the opportunity costs of going to the doctor, finding one that takes your insurance, going, waiting, waiting in the office, doing follow-up testing, it's not necessarily an inviting experience. <laughs> well, I want to address the cost of Medicare for all because I think there's a myth out there about the cost of Medicare for all. So let me give yeah. you the facts because once I tell you this, you're going to be able to make the case for Medicare for all every single time. 
So in 2018, we spent $3.68 trillion on healthcare. $3.68 trillion. Just remember that number. Now, Medicare for All, single-payer Medicare for All, has been researched by over a dozen organizations, think tanks, nonprofits, both liberal and conservative sides of the political spectrum. And every single one of them has found that single-payer Medicare for All, which would cover every single American, so not leave out the 80 million American who don't, who cannot see a doctor today, would cost us between, wait for it, two to three trillion dollars. Now, the last time I checked, two to three trillion dollars is a lot less than 3.68 trillion dollars. So the myth out there on the price tag is that the price tag for single-payer Medicare for All is much, much cheaper than what we pay today. And healthcare for all, which is what I'm proposing, would lower the cost even more. Yeah. And not only will it lower the cost, the second myth that's out there is the quality of care would go away. And this myth is completely busted by the fact that if you scale the healthcare infrastructure, you would not only improve the quality of care, but you would lower the cost even more. And I would be very confident to say that healthcare for all can be implemented for less than $2 trillion while not leaving out a single person in our country. Now, who doesn't want that? I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced. We got to get you in there. <laughs> on that note, um, I'd love to talk to you a bit about the impact of COVID-19 on veterans. As you said, the district you're running to represent includes Fort Hood and has more veterans per square mile in, than anywhere else in Texas. How has the pandemic and I think we can all say the failure of Republican leadership impacted uh, these, hopefully, your, your future constituents? Yeah, so the pandemic hasn't really impacted veterans in a different way than anybody else. What's happened really in the pandemic is that people who are working essential jobs, specifically, in, you know, restaurant waitresses and waiters and cooks and people who are working in retail jobs specifically, right? These people have been impacted disproportionately. People who are working in grocery stores, for example, because they are on the front lines of having to serve others or be out of a job because retail stores were shut down completely, right? So they have been impacted in the worst way possible in our district. And if you go to Bell County, now in Williamson County, you have a much more affluent uh, voter base in general because of the tech industry. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people who work retail and who work in restaurants. And, you know, one of the stories that I tell is in 2019, when I spent six months going across this district, talking to anyone who would talk to me to try to understand what these challenges are. One of the things I did is I knocked on almost every single business in downtown Round Rock, for example. And there are many fine restaurants there. And if you go talk to the waiters and the people who cook in those restaurants and work in these restaurants, Almost every single one of them told me, I don't have health care. I don't have any health insurance. And I can't, and I said, well, have you thought about, you know, going to college, getting more education? And many of them told me, I can't even afford to go to Austin Community College. I really can't. Many of them told me I cannot pay my rent or my bills and afford to go to school and work. I can't do all of this together because going to college is not simple. It takes energy, it takes effort, it takes your attention, okay? So my point is this, that the biggest challenge for those 
who are in these low income jobs has been sustaining themselves through this pandemic. And they have been the ones that have been most impacted um, because of this. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any concerns about Texans' ability to vote safely in November? Absolutely. I mean, look, when you go to the polls, you still want to maintain all the CDC guidelines, wearing a mask, keeping your distance. Of course, everybody's going to be worried about the proximity of standing in line for a long time or even having to spend a long time inside a closed space, right? Because you're going down the ballot, there's no straight ticket voting, which means you're spending longer time inside making your decisions. So there are many concerns uh, in terms of voting in November. What I believe is that if you want to bring every single person into the fold of our democracy, which we should be, we should be engaged because bottom line is whether you like to talk about politics or not, you can set aside politics, but policy impacts every aspect of your life, where you will live, what groceries you can afford, where your children can go to school, whether you will ever be able to buy a home, how much taxes you pay, and what your bottom line take-home pay is. Your policy and the people you put to represent you impact your daily life. There's nothing you should be paying more attention to than figuring out who is working for you and making sure that they are delivering on the results that you want. So we should make voting extremely easy for every single individual so they can participate. And I encourage you to find out who is running for what, find out about these campaigns and vote for the person who is working for your bottom line. Because guess what? When you have financial freedom, then you can truly live your life on your own terms. And until you have true financial freedom, you don't have true individuality. Right, right. Yeah, we say around here that a lot of people say, I'm not a political person, which is like, yes, you are. Do you follow, do you live in this country and walk on the streets? Yes, you are. Of course you are, whether you opt in or not. It's, it's definitely affecting you. Um, I'm also curious about, have you faced any racism or sexism as you've waged this campaign, or have you found you've been spared that? I haven't. I've had one of the most wonderful experiences on this campaign prior to the pandemic. The thing that I love the most is meeting people face-to-face at their door. Uh, Our campaign is known for expanding the electorate. In the primary, we had 233% turnout, the highest ever that this this district has ever seen. And in the runoff, in the middle of a pandemic, when Texas was at its its worst, unfortunately, we had 257% turnout, okay? We won this runoff with a 13-point lead, beating out 11 other candidates, many of which had ran for office before, district-wide, held elected office, yet here we are. So we are talking to voters in a way that they are receptive of our message in a way that they've never seen before. And one of the things I miss the most is having that face-to-face interaction. But we've adapted, we're still talking to voters, I myself talk to voters on a regular basis and I enjoy these conversations. I wish that's all I could do on my race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that one day, like we all use computers that you had a hand in, one day we'll all be following laws that you had a hand in creating too. (laughs) Uh, Where can people learn more about your campaign and how to support you? So our campaign website is vote, 
www.fordonna.com. And we would love your support. We need your support. We are the truly grassroots campaign that you can imagine, right? Our campaign is run by so many volunteers. In fact, the volunteering on our campaign is unbelievable. And that is why we are here, by the way. Whether they're my friends, whether they're people who have joined our campaign uh, since we started. So we would love for you to volunteer. We need help phone banking. We need you guys to have that one-on-one -on -one conversations. And that is how we change hearts and minds and get people excited and inspired to come out, not just to vote for our campaign, but to vote up and down the ballot. And there's a lot at stake in Texas this year, right? There are House races at stake. There are Senate races at stake. And of course, there is the presidential election at stake. So come and join our campaign. Please make calls for us. And of course, if you have the ability to donate, please donate to our campaign. It's votefordonna.com forward slash give, G-I-V-E. And I encourage you to donate whatever you can. And if you can't donate, call that rich uncle, uh, your <laughs> yeah. grandma, your parents, ask them to donate. And Tweet at Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> yes. And even if you can't donate anything, this is what I always ask. Donate $1. Show us. Tell us. Donna, we are with you. We want to see these policies in Congress because that tells me that, Donna, even though I don't have the ability to pay, I'm with you and we're going to support you and we need to see that. So I love it when I see those $1 donations yeah. just as much as I love it when I see those $2,800 donations. And we do need that. And the last pitch I'll make is this. Look, we are one of the most cost-effective campaigns in this entire country. We are able to reach voters at one-fifth the price. And if you know anything about me, I'm one of those frugal people out there. <laughs> I'm going to make every single dollar count. So please help us out. Donate if you can. And we would love for you to volunteer too. Yeah, well, you trimmed healthcare costs from 3.6 trillion to two in like two minutes. So I, I'm convinced. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Donna, Mom, and best of luck. We'll be following the campaign and, and wishing you the best. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duran, and this is the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to Sup at Betches.com. Betches.